Hello everybody and welcome to Real Thoughts with Chris. Today's episode we're going to talk about Ready Player One and the evil within. Now first things first before I want to get into those, I am now on Google Podcast, Spotify, Breaker, Pocket Cast, Radio Public, and Stitcher. Um, I am still currently working on to get onto iTunes, so that should possibly up be up here in the next few weeks so you guys don't have to continue to listen through me through um, Anchor since I just now got on those podcast uh, sites. Also, um, if you guys want to ask me any questions, you can, through the Anchor app, leave me voice messages so I can listen to them through uh, next time before I do my podcast. So if there's any questions or if you guys want me to review a certain movie or game, I can try to get those out or at least try to play them or something like that if I'm able to find them. So I just wanted to get that out of the way and let you guys know if there's anything certain you want me to do. All right, so let's get into Ready Player One. Let's get this movie review going. Um, Ready Player One was directed by Steven Spielberg. It stars Ty Sheridan, who was in X-Men's Apocalypse. He played Scott Summers. And Olivia Cook, who plays Artemis. Now, you will know her from the movie Ouija. Not the good one, the really bad one from 2014. So, the movie takes place in 2045. The world's pretty much gone down the drain. We've had, uh, there's been an economic crisis and that, like, kind of just natural natural resource crisis. And said... As the movie sets it up, people don't try to fix problems. They just try to outlive them, just distract themselves from them. And through that, there, a man named James Halliday created a game called Oasis, which is pretty much like a really advanced VR thing. You can make money off of it if you're really good at gaming. It's pretty much just how everybody lives. You go in there, you can be whatever you want. as long. The only limit is your imagination. And in the movie, James Halliday dies. And the whole plot of the movie is Ty Sheridan's character, Wade Watts, along with his friends, including Olivia Cooke, who is Artemis, and also in her in in the movie named Samantha, is up to them to find three Easter eggs that Halliday had left in the game, in the the Oasis kind of vert and universe. And if whoever finds those three keys, Easter eggs, gains complete control of the Oasis. So it's a battle between them and an evil corporation known as IOI, who's pretty much bent on making it, part of how I uh, go about it, they pretty much want to make EA's wet dream, where the whole your whole VR screen is pretty much just clogged with, you know, pay $5 for this, pay $6 for that. Just pretty much it's just DLC, just out the butt. Like that's, all they, that's what they want to do, just it's a pay-to-win kind of thing. They pretty much want to make a phone game out of a VR game. Now, the story itself is kind of a little... It's a little lackluster. You know where it's going to go. It's the small group of rebels kind of fighting a big corporation kind of thing. So you know what's going to... You know how it's going to end. But the real highlight of the movie and the reason, really reason to watch it... I mean, I personally love the movie, but it's just for the cameos and the Easter eggs, which in which is in the movie about Easter eggs. It's pretty much just an 80s and 90s nostalgic trip. I mean, they got the car from Back to the Future, the Iron Giant, I mean, well, the DeLorean, but the Iron Giant, King Kong, the T-Rex from Jurassic Park. Just, there's so much you can point out and pick from this movie, I don't even want to go into it. But it's just insane. There are some really obscure references people might not get, but for those hardcore fans who know, like me, who pretty much waste their time with pop culture, You'll see, like every, you'll pretty much point out just everything in the movie. Also, some of the uh, action scenes are just insane. 
Um, there's the Easter eggs themselves take place within which within certain events. Like the first key that you'll discover is taken it's take uh, takes place throughout a race. The second one I don't want to kind of get into because it's really neat, but I'll give you a hint. It involves Stephen King, and the third one's just an all-out battle on a planet called Doom, which is just. It's an insane battle, set to some awesome music by Twisted Sister, We're Not Gonna Take It, which along the Easter eggs and cameos for the movie, they have some amazing music. Um, Van Halen's Jump, Joan Jett's I Hate Myself for Loving You, uh, We Want to Rule the World by, uh, I can't remember the artist for that song, but they, they got some really good music in the movie itself. And it is kind of funny, because even though this movie takes place pretty much in a virtual world. It does swap back to the real world. And there are some pretty funny scenes where you... It'll go back and forth between, like a, say, a gigantic battle going on in the VR world, which is just insane. But then it'll cut back to real life, and you realize how less cool it really looks. It's kind of the same of how I felt about the South Park episode, which I know this is a little bit off-topic, but in the South Park episode, um, the World of Warcraft one, where in the game, no matter how awesome or cool you looked they still had you know and they st were giant you know beefed up warriors they still had the little kid voice so it's just kind of funny because in the movie you know they're tanky you know awesome looking characters but in the real world they're like scrawny like weak like you know so scrawny people who probably couldn't hold their own in the fight but then also seeing them do like vr moves where they gotta do like flips and stuff it's just kind of funny to see but i mean there are some pretty funny parts. There are some really just funny um, parts, including references. Um, say, like, the Michael Jackson Thriller outfit shows up. They do kind of a funny thing with that. But, all in all, I did buy it on Blu-ray. So, I personally feel like it was worth $25 for the purchase price. I don't know how you might feel. For some of those people who aren't into gaming a lot and into pop culture, I say it's probably a rental for you, maybe... Or like either like a family movie rental or a Redbox rental, and yes, family video still exists. Surprisingly, I'm surprised they haven't gone the same route of Blockbuster. Which, yeah, made that reference there. A lot of people don't even remember a Blockbuster, but yeah. Um, so either one of those would probably be a good choice if you're not into video gaming and pop culture, you know. But for those who are, I'd say it's really worth adding to your collection via physical copy or download a digital download copy so with that being said out of all i really don't like to rate movies i know i have in the past but i don't really consider myself a reviewer in that sense of giving a rating of whether you'd like it or not but with this one i'd say it's probably maybe a eight i'd say a solid eight maybe an 8.5 just because i know the story is kind of okay and there are some, there is some CGI that's kind of jarring. Not necessarily bad CG, but, like, when I talk about bad CG, I'm usually, because some people ask me about this, because I usually have movie discussions with my friends. Bad CG for me is something like a 98 Godzilla, the Transformers movies, where it's just, like, those kind of, where it's just hurt your eyes to kind of look at. That's not really what's in this movie. There's just some jarring ones where it takes you a moment to kind of let your eyes settle in on it. But you won't get, like, a headache or it's just, like, a scrambled mess. It's not, not in the movie. Well, I guess you could kind of say for the race scene because that is insane. But at the same time, with Steven Spielberg's directing, it makes it so you can still keep focus 
on the main character while the stuff's happening around it, but it doesn't hurt your eyes and you're still able to kind of clear, you know, pick out individuals. It's not all jumbled up like, say, a Transformers movie where you don't know who's fighting who. It's just a big, you know, hunk of metal beating the crap out of each other. So, with that being said, that is pretty much my sum up review of Ready Player One. Now I'm going to move from that to my video game review, which I did, I caught earlier, I accidentally messed up, it's not over the evil within, it's over with the evil within too. So meet me over in the next portion of the review for that. Alright, the second part of the review is time for the game review. <laughs> now the game I'm going to review, as I've previously stated, is the evil within too. And the game you play is Sebastian Castellanos. I think that's how you pronounce the last name, I'm not sure. It's kind of a weird last name. And I'm going to set up the events of the previous game to help you a little bit understand this game a little bit more. Um, in the first game, you were hooked up to a machine called STEM, which allows you to virtually live inside of a simulation. But the simulation is only stabilized through someone called a core, who, is someone, who has to be somewhat pure of heart in a sense. Well, in the first game, you were, of course, hooked up to a madman. So the plane of existence you were on was really just messed up. Um, full of monsters and things like that. And it also can be influenced by other people who are hooked up to the STEM machine. Well, through the events of the game, you of course get out. Where Evil Within 2 picks up is, like I said, three years afterwards. You are down on your luck, you're drunk, nobody believes you from what happened to Beacon, which is where the first game took place. Um, your mind's been pretty much kind of shattered a little bit, you know, you're hallucinating things, but of course anybody would being hooked up to a killer. Well, you come to find out that a company named Mobius created STEM in the first place. They've done it again. But this time, in the first game, you really didn't know much about Sebastian other than he was a detective, and that his wife left him, and his kid died in a fire. Well, come to find out, Mobius abducted your kid. And the house fire was a diversion. So you've been going all this time thinking she was dead. When in reality, she's hooked up to a STEM machine. That has gone dark. Because something's happened to her in the machine. Mentally in the machine. And they can't physically get take her out of the machine because it could kill her. So they ask you to come and save your daughter from STEM. Now, like I previously stated, people can also influence STEM if they have a strong enough willpower. And there are three antagonists in this game. I don't want to touch on two of the second and third antagonists, but I will I will say this. The first antagonist you come across is Stefano, and he's my favorite, possibly. And then the third one is really good, too. The second one I didn't really care for, but I'm not, the reason I'm not going to touch on the second and third antagonist is when the game was going through its advertisement um, cycle. They didn't touch on those, and I don't want to give them away because it would be kind of spoilers. But um, to cover with someone of uh, Stefano, the first antagonist that you'll pretty much deal with for most of the game, he was an artist in the real world, and he kind of sucked at it. None of his work really gotten him anywhere except for one, and that was when he was a report, a kind of a battlefield reporter, and he happened to catch a photo of a soldier being blown up by a grenade. The shrapnel also took his eyes, so in that moment, he kind of realized the most beautiful thing about life is death, of course. So, he's put in a stem, and 
along with him and the two others, they're able to merge, pretty much create what happened at Beacon again in this new town called Union, which is where the game primarily takes place. Now, in the first game, it was a very linear experience. It was go from point A to point B. You know, they'd put you in a map, and it was just to get to the other end. This one's a little bit more kind of an open-world situation. It does get very heavily linear later on. But I say for the first... From chapters 3 to, I think, 8 is when it is pretty much open-worldish. Where I spent almost 3 or 4 to 4 hours in the first section in chapter 3, which is where you first encounter the open-world alone and that was just it was just so fun sticking around killing monsters things like that but it's kind of like you can avoid there's side missions in the game and you can avoid them if you want to you don't have to do them you can pretty much just go from point a to point b but you're going to miss out on a ton there are some scares that you will only encounter optionally if you so choose to go and explore all the side missions and let me tell you some of them are terrifying. Um, there's one I want to talk about. It's not going to give too much away, but it might pique your interest a little bit. Um, one of the side missions, you'll encounter a girl that you'll meet throughout the game. And her for her introduction to you is terrifying. You enter her house, you know, loot it for the supplies. As soon as you're about to walk out the door, it slams. All the furniture in the house starts lifting up and then it just falls, and it goes dead silent, and it starts turning blue. You turn around and look down a hallway, and there's this tall lady covered in rags that are just floating around, and she says your name, you know, she says Sebastian's name in this really creepy, like, tone. And then she does what I like to call the Silent Hill nurse walk, where it's very... Like, her arms are in weird places, but as she's moving, she's, like, it's, like, she's twisting them and cracking them. It's it's a really creepy effect when she runs. But you don't only just encounter her in scripted moments. She can appear randomly at any time in the game just while you're walking around. So you're always on your toes, in a sense, as after you... Normally, she appears after you get a new item or something like that. So you're always on your toes of when you pick something up, she's going to follow, possibly... And it makes for some really tense moments when, say, you're walking around out in the middle of nowhere with no cover, and nowhere to hide, and you start hearing her sing, because she sings a creepy lullaby. And I didn't know this, because I only, when I seen it, it only played, like, through my phone, so I only thought it played through the TV. No, it plays, for you, those of you who have a PS4 controller, it plays through the microphone on the uh, controller. It scared the crap out of me, because <laughs> I thought it would play through the TV, and then I hear it not coming through the TV, and it just made you feel like she was in the room with you. It, it was pretty terrifying. But that's one of the optional encounters you can get throughout the course of the game. Now, now as much as I've said positives about the game, it has a, a really good story. The combat's some, uh, really refined, it feels like, from the first one. Granted, when monsters kind of gang rush you, it feels kind of hectic and kind of <laughs> it sucks a little bit, but taking them one by one is primarily how the game's supposed to be played. You're supposed to be stealthy, because, of course, it's a survival horror game, so resources are limited to you somewhat. Granted, I did play on, I think it was the, hard di- the hardest difficulty, 
and I was stockpiling items for the first couple chapters where um, you have to collect plants to make healing potions, of course, for yourself. And I think at one point I almost had like 50. I mean, I was... Granted, I was good with stealth, so I never really had to use them, but I was kind of stockpiling quite a bit of it, and granted, with the pistol and shotgun ammos, I was kind of stockpiling a lot of it. Granted, I did look around and do some of the side quests and things like that. I was, I did look around quite a bit, so maybe that's the reason why, but if you do do that, it feels kind of easy for the first eight chapters, but what I want to talk about, and it's not really a negative but it's something you should be wary of, depending on your game skill, is from chapter 9 to, I think, chapter f to the very last chapter, it is kind of a gauntlet. You will run through bosses, um, ways of enemies, and sometimes you don't have the ammunition to really take on waves after waves of enemies. And some, so you really, that, those sections where stealth is optional, you better take those in the later chapters, because... You're going to be hurting for bullets and hurting for healing plants because it's not going to go easy on you. Some uh, They also add an, uh, enemies that have a cycle of where they'll be on fire and where they won't, and you can only attack them when they're on fire. Some that have in increased health. Some that have armor plating on them. Um, I was trying to think of all the creatures in the game after that chapter because once after chapter 8, when it goes into chapter 9 to the last one, like I said, it gets hard. I think the last, the boss, the very ending boss battle, the last one, I was running out of ammo every five minutes. And the only reason I was able to somewhat beat the battle is because it will help you out here and there, but it's not going to help you out the whole time. Um, you really have to... Uh, practice resource management look around it's pretty much explore just ask what I'm trying to get at is just explore the game because otherwise you're going to be hurting to like like me because I was trying to finish it to get it out do do the actual like full review because I'm not going to review a game I haven't fully beaten yet but yes that's the name of the game um, now there is an ending that I don't want to talk about for you for people who haven't played it but spoiler alert and I'll give you a couple minutes of silence so you, you can turn the recording off for right now. Because after I go through this little spoiler review, I'm going to go into the end section of the podcast. So I'll give you about five seconds here, starting now. Alright, so here we go with spoilers. I'm curious as to how the game, the next game is going to be, even if there's a next game. Because you do at the end, next to the stem, uh, next to the stem pods, see the computer light up and turn on, and there's typing on it. So I'm kind of curious as to for those of you who have finished the game, which I know, if, unless you don't care about spoilers, you fight your wife. She went into the pod to try to get your daughter out. Well, she was got stuck in there, so you end up having to kill her. In a sense, there's a there's a plot going on where. She's trying to ambush the company itself because they took her daughter, you know, your guys' daughter away in the sense, so she tried to screw him over also. But she had to leave her in STEM as it was collapsing because there was a you know, mental break. So the world around itself caved in. 
and she let out a signal which killed all the Mobius members and pretty much destroyed the company. Well, like I said, computer lit up at the end, so I'm curious as to if that's Mira, who is still stuck in there controlling um, Stem, but if it's, it's the good Mira or the fractured kind of evil Mira, or is it a new in entity altogether? Because at the end of the first game, I can't remember the antagonist's name, but he left and survived. But yet again, he walked off, so I don't know why he, he kind of just vanished. So I don't know what he would have to do with Stem altogether, because he got what he wanted. He won in the end. So I'm curious to see where the next game goes. I'm excited. Oh, I can't wait, because probably this is one of my favorite horror games that's come out recently. Probably until um, Call of Cthulhu and The Sinking City and things like that. But this is probably one of my favorite game, horror games, like I said, to come out in a couple of years. Um, I haven't played Resident Evil 7 yet, so that's it might beat uh, that might beat this game. But I kind of refuse to play that game until I get a VR headset, and I'm sort of in the process of that right now. So I don't know how that's going to go yet. All right, well, thanks for. Um, I'm going to go into the ending of the episode, so I'll see you there. Here we are again at another ending segment to Real Thoughts with Chris. Now, as I previously stated at the beginning of the podcast, I'm on Google Podcast, Spotify, Breaker, Pocket Casts, Radio Public, and Stitcher. Now, for you fans on those uh, the apps I just mentioned, um, a thumbs up, subscribe, a like, whatever you do on those channel, uh, those sites. We really appreciate it because it I get feedback for it. And for you fans on Anchor, just a favorite or a thumbs up would be really appreciated. And also for you Anchor fans, um, like I said before, if you want me to review something, certain movie or game-wise, I'll try to find it. Just leave me a message. Uh, a, I think it's a video message or an audio message on the app because I know you can leave me those. So... That'd be uh, helpful if you guys want to hear anything, you know, helpful to me to keep this going and, you know, give you guys content for, um, for you, uh, give you guys content. <laughs> Anyways, now for the fun fact of the day, I actually have two, and this is going to do with The Shining, because it happens to go with one of the reviews I talked about today. It happens to go with one of those, um, segments. Now, anyways... For one bit of trivia, the famous carpet pattern in The Shining was actually used in Toy Story. It was, a, it was in the second floor of Sid's house. The famous, it looks like a launch pad, kind of, where you see, I can't remember the kid's name, but he's playing with his toys on it. That, like, orange and reddish kind of pattern. Yes, it was actually in Toy Story. And the second bit of little uh, trivia was Jack Nicholson was actually a volunteer firefighter, uh, fire marshal in his life at one point. And in the scene where he destroys the door, they had originally put up a um, lighter weight, uh, lightweight door so he could uh, destroy it, you know, when he, throws the when he puts the axe through it. But since he had that training, he was actually able to destroy those doors super easily and pretty quickly. So the prop department had to build a str like stronger fake doors for him to destroy 
since, like I said, he broke through them so easily. <laughs> with that out of the way, thank you for listening to Real Thoughts with Chris. I'll be here next Thursday with another episode. Um, I'm probably going to wait to do We Happy Few. I have come across a little bit of a problem here uh, regarding a vehicle, so I'm going to have to do um, some repairs on that, so money's going to have to go towards that. But I will try to find another game and a movie to review for next Thursday, so sorry about that. Life has a way of just kind of throwing those little oddballs in here at me, but I will hopefully one day get to that. So thank you for listening again. Goodbye.